We proclaim that this morning, Lord God, that we worship a risen God, a God that there is none like you. Lord God, we thank you that we get the opportunity to come in this place to know you more. Lord God, to hear your word proclaimed in song. Lord God, to hear your word preached. Lord God, and as we approach your word this morning, Lord God, we ask that you would, that you would transform our hearts. Lord God, allow us to know and understand and see that you, through your word, we can know you. Lord God, so please allow us to set aside any distractions, any barriers this morning that might allow us to, to come to your word and to know you more. Lord, be with us this morning. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, at this time, uh, anybody who still has kiddos can go ahead and walk your kiddos on downstairs. Uh, make sure uh, as you assist and escort your kids downstairs, make sure they get their name tags on. It's like cattle without ear tags it can cause quite a problem. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm very thankful for, for the amount of kids that we have in our midst. What a wonderful blessing and a joy to see a church so alive with young children, right, and alive with, with adults and people who are willing to come side along those, alongside those children and, and help them to know the Lord, right? It is our responsibility as, as parents and as a church family to, to teach our children and to show them the way of the Lord. And so I'm so thankful for, for the volunteers that spend time down there doing that on Sunday mornings. So um, also, at this time, if you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, I'd encourage you to go ahead and, and get up right now. Uh, there's a few Bibles in the back table. Um, you'll see also that there are a couple Bibles in the pews in front of you, um, but just want you to know that those are a little different translation than what I'll be reading from this morning. So if you do use the pew Bible, it may look a little different, but again, still trying to pro- proclaim and, and show the truth of God. So as most of you know, Mark and the Reeves family and Caleb, as John mentioned, are in Pennsylvania, and they had the opportunity to celebrate Philip and Sarah's wedding yesterday. And so with that, I become the pinch hitter. Now, I was a pitcher in college, so I know a little bit about baseball, but not much of a hitter, but I'll do my best. And although I'm not a seminarian or a trained preacher myself, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I am resolved to know the good news of the gospel. And I'm confident that the Spirit has been working through me this week to bring the gospel message to our church family this morning. And I've been praying that as we walk through the Word of God, that we would experience heart transformation, right? That we would be challenged by what God brings us this morning to grow closer, and to know him more. Now, as I stand in this place this morning, I can't help but be reminded of some of my favorite memories in this building. As most of you know, before being called to join the Buffalo City Church plant a little over three years ago, First Baptist Church in this building was the place of worship for Samantha and I. And although we know that the church building has nothing to do with it, 
that the church is about a body of believers coming to know Jesus Christ, it was in this place, actually in that baptistry right there, if you, if you take that wood out right there, there's actually a big, huge pool, right? And approximately eight years ago, I stood up in that pool, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> and I proclaimed that Jesus Christ was my Lord and Savior. Amen. And uh, Samantha was right here playing the keyboard. And there were some faces that are spotted throughout here that were here seeing that proclamation. You see, it was in that moment that my old life was buried in the watery grave of baptism. I professed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. It was in that moment that I was raised in the newness of life of Christ Jesus. Now, with this merger, I've been thrust into this beautiful and unique position of reconnecting with the church family we knew and loved at First Baptist and kind of integrating or figuring out how that works with a Buffalo City Church family that we've grown close to over the past three years. And you see, with both of these worlds kind of colliding for us, it could be easy to focus on what's different. For better or worse, in my mind, between First Baptist and Buffalo City Church. Right? To see and experience and focus on the change Right, Maybe some of the physical nuances that are a little different than when I worshipped here a little over four years ago. But instead of focusing on the physical, and we've seen this in Scripture over the last few weeks, I'm invited to explore and see what Christ is doing in our midst. I'm invited to instead put my eyes on what's here in front of us, instead to focus on the wonderful and beautiful truth that God is bringing a people together to proclaim his name in Jamestown. You know, eight years ago, as I professed Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I maybe would have struggled to see that the unity is not in how we worship or where we worship, but it's in Christ Jesus. Right? That we are unified only when we are a group of people who are pointed to a risen Savior in Jesus Christ. Right? At that time, I may have looked for something different. I would have said, oh, this is a little awkward. Right? This is a little weird. But instead, we focus on the truth that we've seen. That the only way to see and and know and experience peace and unity is by focusing on Jesus Christ. And that's true in our friendships, in our marriages, and in our parenting. The only true unity comes through lifting our eyes together the Lord. So with that, I don't know where you're at this morning in this church merger and our transition to unity. Maybe you've felt a little 
awkward transition not being in the Civic Center or having a group of people come into this space. I know if you're a little nervous to maybe reach out to or extend a, an invite to dinner to someone you don't know. But wherever you're at this morning, I invite us to focus on the Lord and to trust and know that with a focus on Him, He will provide the peace and unity that our Buffalo City Church family desires and seeks. Now, the text that we'll be jumping into this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 22. And we'll title it, An Escape from Temptation in Christ Jesus. Now, as we approach Scripture this morning, and any time we approach Scripture, I want to remind us that the intent, the reason that we head to God's Word, is to know Him more. This narrative that is the Bible is one which allows us to know and understand God. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we are image bearers with the Spirit of God inside of us. By exploring and understanding God through His Word, we begin to understand who we are and how we are to respond to the world around us based on an identity rooted in Christ Jesus. You see, in a world attempting to tell us that our identity is in our careers and how much money we make, or how many kids we have, or what part of town we live in, as followers of Christ who believe in the Word of God, we subscribe to the truth of what Christ has done on our behalf. Belief that we should be displaying and proclaiming in all and with all aspects of our lives is a privilege to come to God's word and know him. It's a privilege to grow closer to a living God, to know his love for us and love him in return and cherish his commands. So as we turn to scripture this morning, I invite us to ask ourselves, what is the scripture telling us about who God is? and in turn, who I am as an image bearer of Jesus Christ. As we've navigated the first nine chapters of 1 Corinthians, as well as a couple-week detour we took in John 17 and Colossians 3, we've seen an overarching theme of unity. Throughout 1 Corinthians, Paul is imploring the members of the church of Corinth to be unified by a foundation built on Christ Jesus, right? One that aligns with what I provided in my introduction and my experience here with our church merger, right? The apostle Paul is saying, if you want unity, look above, right? Stop looking at who's what teacher you're following, or which worldly wisdom to take. Instead, follow Christ Jesus. And last week in 1 Corinthians 9, we saw Paul renouncing his rights and the challenge for us as followers of Jesus Christ to be others-focused in renouncing our rights to see the gospel proclaimed to those around us. I don't know about you, but to be honest, I'm still kind of 
sorting through that challenge from the Spirit of God brought from Caleb last week. I'm still trying to consider and understand how and where I can renounce my rights. My thoughts and plans and things the world would say I deserve as a hardworking and contributing member of society. How can I sacrifice those things for the benefit, growth, and gospel understanding of those around me? As Christians, we talk about being others-focused, but the truth of last week's message truly calls us to be self-sacrificial in that focus for the sake of the gospel. So this morning we'll look at 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1-22, through where we will see that although we have all been given access to God through Jesus Christ, we still inhabit sinful flesh, and need help to overcome temptation and sin. With that, we proclaim in unity that Jesus Christ is the one who has overcome and escape against all temptation and sin as we serve one master in Christ Jesus. We are invited to turn away from idols of this world and fully trust and proclaim with our lives what has been accomplished on our behalf by Jesus Christ on the cross. At this time, let's go ahead and open our Bibles then and take a look at what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the age has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that any idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of the demons. 
You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? As we look to unpack this set of 22 verses this morning, we'll look at it in three sections, which are the three points of this morning's sermon. The first point, God is faithful, and a warning against idolatry, which we'll see in verses 1 through 12. The second point, that temptation is provided an escape in Christ Jesus, which we'll see in verse 13. And finally, the call to flee from idolatry and serve one master in Christ Jesus, which we'll see in verses 14 through 22. As we begin to look at this first point, the idea that God is faithful and the warning of idolatry that Paul provides, we see the Apostle Paul communicating the omnipresence and faithfulness of God. The idea that the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has existed for eternity. That every generation has been able to know and experience a faithful God. Paul does this by explaining how the Israelites experienced the never-ending presence of God. All were under the cloud, in verse 1, refers to Exodus 13, 21 through 22, when Moses was leading the Israelites out of Egypt. It says, And the Lord went before them day by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart before the people. God was faithfully with them in the cloud. And all passed through the sea refers to the Lord through Moses parting the Red Sea so that the Israelites could escape Pharaoh in Exodus. By parting the sea, God was faithfully with them. And all ate the same spiritual food, the manna from heaven that the Lord had provided. God was faithfully with them. In verse 4, And all drank the same spiritual drink, the water which the Lord provided to the Israelites through Moses in Exodus 17, when he struck the rock at Horeb with his staff, provided water to a thirsty people. God was faithfully with them. We see in the second half of verse 4 that this is the same God, which includes Father, Son, Jesus Christ, and Holy Spirit, when it says, For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Even for the people in Egypt who were fleeing Pharaoh, God and Jesus Christ was faithfully with them. However, we see as we continue here, and if you've spent any bit of time in the Old Testament, that although God was faithfully with them, the Israelites were tempted and sinned. They separated themselves from a loving, faithful God and put their faith and trust in temporal, short-sighted satisfaction and gain. 
They indulged in sexual immorality, which, interestingly enough, was a similar warning provided to the Corinthians in chapter 6. They put Christ to the test. They grumbled. And as a result, they were justly cut off from the Lord. And Paul turns to us in verses 6 and 7 and explains, these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. And again in verse 11, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. In our world, we kind of have an expression or multiple expressions for the people who are the experts sitting from the outside. You're probably familiar with the idea of a backseat driver, right? Or if you're a football fan, the idea of an armchair quarterback. Now, those ideas or terms sometimes assume indignant pride from the person who knows better. Right? But the principle of viewing and reflecting and learning from an observed experience, from taking a step back and looking from the outside, is a sound one. Right? We can grow and learn and understand by taking a step back, right? which as Christians encourages us to have an eternal perspective, right? to see the world instead through our temporal short-sighted vision, and instead to take a step back and see it through the eyes of Christ. Now, why did the Israelites, and why did the Corinthians, and why do we seem to fall prey to the same temptations and sins in our lives? If we've been given an example of a people who have fallen, and we've been instructed to to learn from that, why do we fall? The reason is that we turn to the temporary immediate gratifications that become idols in our hearts. We struggle to truly believe in the omnipresence and faithfulness of God. You see, although we're provided this instruction, We still inhabit sinful flesh and need help to overcome temptation and sin. Like the Israelites, which are example, our sin nature allows us to be tempted or tricked to think that something we can see and touch and feel and grasp in the temporary is somehow more lasting, has more value and benefit than the spiritual truth that God is the only lasting reality. But folks, I urge us to continually subscribe to the truth that we see in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. 
folks, we must ask ourselves continually and ask the Lord to reveal to us where in our lives are we treasuring the things that will fade over the lasting promise of the gospel. When you feel like you don't have direction in your life, Jesus is faithfully with you. When your marriage is difficult and managing your your kids seems like craziness, Jesus is faithfully with you. When your kids leave the house and you feel like you don't know what you're supposed to do with yourself as an empty nester, Jesus is faithfully with you. As it says in verse 12 and in the first part of verse 13 here in our scripture, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. From the Tyndall New Testament commentary of 1 Corinthians, it provides this. The lesson that the Corinthians must particularly draw from Israel's history relates to self-confidence, which really amounts to self-presumption. The grace given to them in Jesus Christ is truly extraordinary and powerful. Nonetheless, they must not think that they have no need for vigilance. They will only stand if they consider and avoid the prospect of falling. When it seems like some temporary pleasure will fulfill you, know that there is an eternal alternative to point your focus towards, a greater fulfillment in the love of God in Christ Jesus. As stated by Charles Spurgeon in the morning and evening devotional, he says in regards to idolatry, nothing teaches us about the preciousness of the Creator as much as when we learn the emptiness of everything else. There is no greater alternative than giving it all to the glory of Christ Jesus. This leads us then to the second point, which provides an appropriate tension to the previous one that we've talked about in regards to vigilance. Paul has warned the Corinthians against presumption, but then in verse 13 assures them of God's faithfulness in the promise that temptation is provided an escape in Christ Jesus. Verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Isn't that a beautiful and assuring truth? That God will provide a way of escape. That you may be able to endure it. The temptation that the church in Corinth is facing is quite strong and accords with an experience of most followers of Christ. You see, those in Corinth were facing the idea that if they stopped going to the temple feasts, they would be cut off from society. If they did not accept the invitation from those around them to participate in these grand parties worshiping other false idols, 
they wouldn't be seen the same. They'd be cast out. They would be cast aside. They would be, py- be pyras in, so- in society. But Paul is encouraging them that knowing Jesus Christ far outweighs that temporal gratification of communing with other people. Right? Paul assures them that there's an escape in that temptation to spend time with other people worshiping idols in Christ Jesus. That it's worth giving up for the sake of Christ. For us in our world, we can sometimes feel similarly. Sometimes be tempted to participate and join in some short-term gratification instead of surrendering our rights for the glory of the Lord. There are times when we are, tempted, we are tempted to feel hopeless, not acknowledging the truth that the Lord has provided the ultimate hope in our salvation through Christ Jesus. There are times when we are tempted to feel powerless, when we have a God who is completely powerful and conquered sin and death on our behalf. There are times when we're tempted to feel selfish. That sacrificing our own gain for those around us just puts us further and further behind instead of knowing that our treasure is stored up for us in heaven. And if we're not vigilant, these temptations lead to sin. They lead us to be slothful and give up instead of proclaiming that Jesus has overcome on our behalf. We're tempted to put others down to raise ourselves up instead of taking joy in lifting those around us up and allowing them to see a love that could only be inspired by the overflowing love of what we have in Christ Jesus. And if we have a temporary non-eternal understanding, do not acknowledge the faithfulness and omnipresence of our God, our sinful flesh will give in to those temptations. But we are called, in this set of verses, as followers of Christ, to rest in the truth that Jesus has overcome, that he is the way of our escape, that most importantly, he is faithful. As I looked at this verse again in, in chapter 13, however, I was, I was reminded of one more thing. And, I, and I, I just wanted to correct maybe the idea because I think the world has attempted to, to perverse this idea that we see in verse 13. It's attempted to provide an incorrect, self of, or incorrect sense of self-sufficiency and self-proclamation. I'd invite us to please see and understand that this verse doesn't say that God won't give you more than you in your own strength can handle. Because guess what? He does. And he will. But what this is saying is that he will not give you more than he can handle. There is nothing, 
Folks, absolutely nothing. No temptation or sin that has not been accounted for by the cross of Christ. Jesus was tempted in the desert by Satan, yet he did not sin. This perfect and spotless lamb took the burden of sin completely for you on your behalf on the cross. There is no past transgression. There is no current struggle. There is no future temptation that is not overcome by Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished. When you are tempted, turn to the word which became flesh. Know Jesus Christ through his promises. Jesus is faithful. Jesus is your deliverer and savior. In the midst of your temptation, he is with you and faithful. With that, we proclaim in unity that Jesus Christ is the one who has overcome and escaped against all temptation and sin. So we've seen the faithfulness of God and a warning of idolatry through the example of the Israelites. We've seen that temptation and sin is common to man because of our sinful flesh, but that we have been provided an escape from temptation and sin in our Savior, Christ Jesus. This takes us to our third and final point, invitation then to flee from idolatry and serve one master in Christ Jesus. Going back to the text, we see in verses 14 through 22, it says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless is, not a participa- is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered the idols is anything, or that any idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? As context, again, I mentioned this previously, the Corinthians were struggling to separate themselves from temple feasts, which included offerings and sacrifices to idols. They were not seeing and heeding the danger of giving up the temporal satisfactions of parties for the eternal damnation of idolatry. And while Paul is acknowledging that idols are nothing, and that idol food is nothing, which he also touched on in chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians, he brings forward a new point in verse 20. The acknowledgement that demons are at work where there are idols. As we look back to Deuteronomy chapter 32, we see that the Israelites stirred up the Lord's jealousy and angered him with their worthless idols. Moses went on to say that the false gods Israel turned to could not help or protect them. And although the false gods were helpless, they were also designated demons. So although idols have no power, 
demons do exist and can inflict damage on human beings. And we can see that in Leviticus 17.7 and Psalm 106.37. Thus, Paul is saying that if believers eat in the temple with idols, they expose themselves to demonic powers, which for Paul is tantamount to idolatry. Paul is stating that if you truly believe that there is power in the Lord's Supper, that we are participating in the acknowledgement of the blood and body of Christ to atone for our transgressions, that there is one God in Christ Jesus, do not participate in the sacrifices to pagan gods. Paul does not imply that eating idol food is permissible if one eats with the right motives or if one has the right knowledge. Eating idol food, if it is known to be idol food, is objectively wrong and invites influence of demonic powers. It says in verse 21, You cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Paul is drawing a clear line distinction in this case in giving up food offered to idols. He's asking the Corinthians to count the cost of being cut off from society in the temple feast to gain the promises of the Lord Jesus Christ and avoid the demonic influence of idol worship. Matthew 6.24, it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We must acknowledge in word and in deed that Jesus is the only way. We must not give the enemy a stronghold and must truly believe and show with our lives that we believe the truth from John chapter 14, verse 6, which says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Paul is providing to the Corinthians here that there will be a cost on this earth for acknowledging the truth of who Jesus Christ is. But that that cost is worth the eternal benefit of knowing Jesus Christ and glorifying him forever. So we ask the question, what do we value? We value comfort or control independence or achievement and productivity? What things, Buffalo City Church, do we value that tempt us to worship or pursue false gods? What tempts us to focus on those things over knowing, loving, and pursuing Jesus Christ? Is our focus temporal or eternal? Do we find ourselves saying that money isn't an object, but then putting all of our energy and focus on getting the next raise or promotion? Do we say that we don't value comfort? do everything in our power to make sure we save enough money for that next vacation. 
Do we say we don't value power, but find ways to take the upper hand and use it against those around us to get our way? These are tough questions. These require self-examination and time with the Lord to reveal what in our heart is causing us to be tempted. It's not something that we can just answer today and pretend like it doesn't exist tomorrow or the next day or the next day or the five years from now or ten years from now. No, folks, as we draw closer to him and know him more, we need to continually ask him to reveal and remove idols and to put our faith and trust in him to be the escape of our temptations. Although we have all been given access to God through Jesus Christ, we still inhabit sinful flesh and need help to overcome temptation and sin. With that, we proclaim in unity that Jesus Christ is the one who has overcome and escape against all temptation and sin as we serve one master in Christ Jesus. Turn away from idols of this world and fully trust and proclaim with your life what has been accomplished on your behalf by Jesus Christ on the cross. In conclusion, then, I think this text is asking us to consider the following questions. What idols are you holding on to? What other masters am I attempting to serve in my life? What areas of my life or temporal pleasures am I consistently being tempted to pursue? How or when am I turning to Jesus as a way of escape and to endure temptation? Or maybe in some cases, am I even willing to turn to God to help me overcome my temptation? By spending time in his word, by spending time in discipleship relationships, we've talked at length here at Buffalo City Church as our responsibility, our mission to make disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. Invite us to explore those questions in discipleship relationships. Right? To ask someone to come alongside us and help us reveal idols in our lives. To invite other people into our lives to help them point us to Jesus Christ. So we leave here, again, asking God to reveal those things to us through our personal time in His Word, through our personal time in prayer, through discipleship relationships. And we will trust and know that Jesus, as we grow closer to him, will reveal those to us and begin to break down that sin. With that, let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for our time with you in your word this morning. Lord God, thank you for the reminder that we are sinners in need of a Savior who has been provided to us in Christ Jesus. That just like the Israelites and the Corinthians, we are tempted to turn from God. Please, Lord, allow us to see this example and instruction as a reminder to know you more, to repent and to turn to you. Thank you, Lord, that you have provided an escape to temptation and sin 
in Christ Jesus. That we have access to a God through prayer and through His Word that allows us to overcome temptation of our sinful flesh. Thank you, Lord, for calling us to identify idols and repent so that we can know and experience you more. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we leave this place this morning, we wouldn't be the same as when we came in. That we would have experienced and been transformed by the Holy Spirit. Lord God, allow us to be obedient to your truth and to turn to you in all areas and aspects of our lives. Lord God, may our supreme end be to enjoy you and grow in faith, to see that enjoyment and faith grow in those around us. We thank you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen.